What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are talking about one topic and one topic only, and that's fat loss, people, okay? We are talking about how to cut the LBs, how to trim the fat, how to lose those unsightly pounds as we get ready for the sweet, hot months of summer. Okay, so if you remember back on episode 42, Sony and I talked about our 2021 goals and they were all about dropping our body fat percentage. So to follow up on that, we wanted to bring in an expert, an actual former guest in Dr. Alex Harrison to understand just how to do that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. It's an incredible story about how Alex went from being a uh, self-proclaimed average high school athlete to a track All-American in college, all the way to being a member of Team USA bobsled. Really incredible conversation. So, so go back and listen to that one after this. But today, he's also the endurance diet and one of their nutrition experts over at Renaissance Periodization. So he works with a number of athletes and, and what he describes as just regular folks who want to change their body composition and make sure that they're living and performing at the highest level. So he was really gracious with his time very early, <laughs> might I add, where he lives over the course of the weekend to talk about how do we lose fat? Why do we actually put on fat? How do we sustain fat loss? And uh, maybe most importantly, misspelling a lot of the myths that I think are prevalent within just the fitness industry around that topic. So incredibly informative. I think we did a really good job of kind of covering the topic at a high level, but also getting in depth on some questions. And, you know, quite frankly, as someone who loves learning about this stuff, I learned a lot in this conversation, a lot that is going to help me personally with my own training. But, but most importantly, when friends and family ask for advice, I think this is going to be one of those episodes that I point them to. Not that I'm telling my friends and family to go listen to episodes because that would be pretty insufferable, but it was a great conversation. I'm excited to hear what everyone thinks about it. With that said, if you are listening, as always, I really mean this. Thank you. A number of you have reached out and provided feedback on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Um, so please keep that feedback coming. And if there's anyone that you would like to, to have as a guest or you know someone who'd be a tremendous guest, let me know that too. That really does help, and I, I do try and get those folks on if we can make it happen. So with that said, this was a little bit of a long one, so I'm going to cut to the chase, and uh, let's just bring uh, Dr. Alex Harrison onto the show. All right, folks, without further ado, please welcome Dr. Alex Harrison to the show. Here we go. <laughs> Alex, welcome to the show. It's good to be back. I know. Second second time. I so think uh, you have you might have, be our first repeat guest. I was I was just gonna ask. Yeah, yeah. I, I had uh, you know, it's funny. My let me think about this. So my my good buddy Noah, who's a ESPN commentator, he was like the, our fourth guest, but then he also got COVID. Like but right at the beginning, before anyone knew anything, he was one of the first like hundred people in New York. Holy so he, gross. so he came right back on and, uh, so yeah, so maybe technically he was the first, okay. uh, repeat guest, but, uh, 
anyway, much better circumstances this time around. Seriously. Sure. Uh, we were just catching up about this a little bit, but uh, last time that we spoke, you were in you're in beautiful Arlington, Washington, and I. Uh, it sounds like the journey continues. Where are you at right now? So we are in. My wife and I are parked in our RV in uh, just east of Tucson, next to uh, Saguaro National Park East. That's awesome. And is that is that for the cycling? Yeah, yeah. She's gonna ride up Mount Lemmon today. Oh wow. How long of a ride is something like that? Uh, for me, <laughs> three hours, three hours up the hill and then an hour down the hill. For her, maybe two hours. No kidding. It's under two hours. It's She'll be going from about 1,000 feet elevation or maybe maybe it starts at 2,000 up to 9,000. Oh, wow. What's it like when you start, when you have like that drastic of a change in elevation? in an endurance sport uh if you're not altitude acclimatized it feels terrible it'll yeah like tingly fingers tingly feet especially if you're working at near threshold levels like if you're pushing pretty hard you'll start to lose sensation in your limbs it's crazy yeah because it's uh it's just like within a workout to have that drastic shift mm-hmm. is crazy to me. You know, it, it's one thing to know, like, hey, we're gonna go be in, we're gonna be in Mexico City. Uh, let's try and prepare in the weeks leading up. It's like, no, I'm gonna start at a thousand feet, end at nine thousand. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how the body, like, uh, like you said, acclimates itself to something like that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty wise to to do some sort of altitude acclimatization beforehand. Otherwise, you'll be you'll just be a different athlete at the top or near anywhere near the top. Like coming from sea level, we're from Arlington, Washington. That's like elevation of 50 feet. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll be like 25% decrease in performance by the time we get to 7,000 or 8,000 feet. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and I, I know I brought you on for a completely different topic, but just out, out of curiosity, how, how, do, how do you and your wife go about uh, acclimating to the, to the elevation? Are you doing um, any training at sea level? Or is it more about time spent uh, at elevation for you guys? That's a great question. Uh, we live in an RV, so we go literally drive up a hill and stay on, stay in BLM land at like three or four thousand feet uh, uh, to get some acclimatization. But uh, yeah, in general, you just basically you want to stay at the elevation that you're going to be competing or training or exercising at. Yeah. No, it makes sense and definitely a benefit of the RV. (laughs) We can move our house to altitude. Exactly. Competitive advantage. Um, Well, perfect. So I I did have you come on for a very specific reason. uh, And that is because as 2020 began to wind down, my wife and I started to uh, look at our New Year's resolutions. And I said, you know what? Every, Every year, I typically set some some fairly big goals for myself. But this year, I was like, I don't know why. But I, I want to pay attention to what my body fat percentage is, and I want to get it down. And then I realized I really have no idea what a healthy body fat percentage is. It's a big- um, You know, because you hear some really low numbers thrown around. And then as I began to read into it, I was like, is that even healthy? Uh, so um, I thought, who else could offer perspective on this than you? understanding what you're doing with the team at Renaissance periodization. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping we can maybe enlighten folks a little bit about uh, just the topic in general. This is actually really good timing because I have hmm. been, 
I've been sort of in the formative. I've, I've been forming some newer ideas that I think oh, okay. are in alignment with um, like the greater body of medicine and medical research and all that. Um, but in general, I would say that in the beginning of my career, I started out, um, I started out essentially informing my clients like, yes, I can get you leaner. Mm. We can just go as lean as you want and I can get you there with not a whole lot of like forethought or afterthought for, um, I guess I wasn't pushing people to show or stage readiness type body compositions, like not down to like four or five, six percent usually. But mm. I, I would tell people, yeah, we can get you to eight percent body fat or seven percent body fat. And then I wouldn't have much, uh, like too much thought about how hard it was going to be for them to maintain that, especially if they uh-huh. have a higher body fat percentage in the first place. Right. And that should absolutely be taken into consideration when, when making fat loss goals. You should take into consideration how much fat have I carried before because mm. that's going to affect how sustainable like 8% body fat or even 12 or 20% body fat might be for you. Yeah. And, and why is that? Does the body just kind of like adapt over time? Yeah. And- essentially it's homeostasis. Like if you, if you carry 40% body fat for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, your body just is accustomed to that. You carry that for 20 years or whatever, your body's yeah. going to be accustomed to carrying that much fat and it, you will have different hunger signaling, different hormone levels when you get to 20% body fat or 15% body fat than somebody who only is cutting down from 22% body fat. Hmm. And may, maybe this is a good place to start too. C- could you um, maybe just help kind of orient people when we start thinking about ranges of body fat percentage, you know, what is quote unquote healthy um, what is an average range for someone who, you know, looks like the guy on the magazine or the gal in the magazine who's, who's ripped up kind of the, the body that a lot of people are seeking. And then, uh, I think you mentioned, you know, being like stage or show ready. Um, I imagine we're talking like, uh, you know, bodybuilding, yeah, yeah. um, you know, what, what does that sort of threshold look like? And I guess, you know, within that question too, like, can you kind of help orient people on what is healthy and, and what might be unhealthy, either too much uh, or, or too little body fat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I'll start with the extreme, the, the stage readiness. For men, that might be like 4 5 6% body fat. Mm. Um, for women, it might be like 9 to 15% body fat, okay. a little wider range. Um and for some people who have been super lean and been gifted athletically their whole life and gifted from their parents with great genetics, like 6% for a guy might be, might feel pretty sustainable or uh, mm. 12, 13% might feel pretty sustainable for a woman. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, that that's not something to strive for, for most people, because most of us haven't hung out at like 7% fat our whole lives or, or. 13% fat as, as a woman. Um, hmm. so like healthy, a healthy range for a guy might be anywhere from eight to 15% fat. That'd be pretty, pretty optimal health. Okay. Uh, and, and, and when we think about, you know, so if the extreme is that four or 5%, 6% for guys and that's, uh, I'm sorry, am I using the right term? Like stage ready? Are we, are we talking yeah. like body? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
if we think about, you know, an elite athlete, you know, let's make a wide receiver or someone in the NBA, like what sort of body fat percentage are those guys often hanging around at? Probably five to 11 or 12 at the top. Mm. Got it. So the, the other end of that question then is when does body fat percentage for, for, for men and women begin to be unhealthy on, on the other end of the spectrum? Oh, that is a hot topic. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, that is a, Finally some controversy. Uh, yeah. So, uh, hmm. I wish I had the, the CDC or the, the NIH guidelines memorized, but I don't. Uh, no, I know. What, no, okay. I think that the reason I don't have them memorized is that it's so individual because of personal history. Hmm. And a lot of my clients come to me essentially having carried more fat in the past. And so that informs a lot of my decision making about how lean they should get in the future. Hmm. Um, so when, when I say, like, if I say there might be health trade-offs of, of carrying more than 30% fat as a woman or more than 25 or 20% fat as a man – it it might also simultaneously be true that for some men it, it's actually not optimal to cut below 15 or 20% because they've carried 30 or 40% before and the health hmm. trade-offs of cutting beyond what is sustainable are pretty substantial um you can have like pretty serious hormone issues um orthorexia or anorexia tendencies and it's oh, wow. um yeah it's just not a, it's not a good psychological process to sort of uh, fight where your body wants to be. And so a, a, a good, a solid general recommendation for folks is if you've never done anything to target fat loss, if you've never followed a diet that um, to, to, to encourage body recomposition, lose target losing five to 10% um, of body, body weight, Hmm. Uh, assuming hopefully that it is all fat and then see if that feels sustainable R rather than um, R rather than giving sort of like at 20% men get less healthy or at 25% women get less healthy. That's like, that's just not the case. Like for some people it is absolutely more healthy just to target five or 10% of body weight loss and then stay there. Even if it's a, a few percent higher than, those typical thrown out guidelines. Oh, okay. And, and, and this idea of sustainability, um, does, does that mean that if someone can keep that, you know, that, that lower percentage of body weight off, there does become a point where they can begin like chipping away, uh, you know, after their, I guess, you know, the homeostasis has kind of taken place at this new threshold. Um, or is that something where it's like, Hey, some people, it, it, you know, just, you're never going to get down to that seven, eight percent, and if you do, you're, you're going to be. It'll be more detrimental than it's worth. Yeah, absolutely. So that is a a great question and a hard question with a hard answer. Okay. I think that yes, in most cases, after you do a, a phase of maintenance dieting, um, whether it's six weeks or twelve weeks or even a year of, hmm. of maintaining your weight after some weight loss. Yes, it's possible to lose more weight for a lot of people and they can mm -hmm. lose more weight and move into like a second maintenance in the future and it's nice and sustainable, but there will come a time 
And whether it's at 7% or whether it's at 15 or 25%, there's likely to come a time where, yeah, the trade-offs of losing more weight are not in favor uh, of doing so. Like there, there's just too wow. much psychological trauma, too much life expense, uh, too much hyper-focus on food, um, reduced testosterone levels, increased cortisol levels. Hmm. Yeah. And when, and when you say 15 to 25%, that's, that's like that percentage of, is that the body weight loss? Oh, like, I'm talking uh, percent body fats there. Okay. Okay. Um, got it. Got it. I say 7, 15, 25. I, I'm sort of uh, pulling numbers from men and women there. So, like, women are almost never going to be a 7%. And right, right, right. always it's ideal for men to get below 25% because they just tend to be a little bit uh, a lower body fat percentage than women in general. Just big, yeah. big genera- generalities there. Well, Well, let me ask you this, too. For, for people at home who are listening and are kind of interested in this, you know, what is the best way for someone to actually measure their body fat? And maybe you can, uh, I know there's multiple options, so I'd actually be even interested in understanding, like, what are all the opportunities that yeah. exist? But then realistically, the average person who listens to this podcast is like, you know, let me see what mine is. Like, what's the best next step there? Hmm. Uh, my... My honest answer to my clients is don't bother getting it tested. Oh, real okay. Because, that might be even more important because uh, the the number one way is the DEXA scan, um, dual X-ray absorptometry, and it basically takes a look inside your body and tells you what it's made of, and it's accurate to within like two or three percent. Like if you were hmm. to do a cadaver study, which we obviously can't do, um, then it, it would be accurate to within a very tight margin. Um, wow. There's a whole bunch of other things you can do. You can do air plethysmography, which is a fancy word for the bod pod, if you've heard of it. Um, yep. You sit in an air bubble and they measure the dis- the amount of air that you displace. And then they tell you your body fat based off of that. Sounds really awesome. Not super reliable. Uh, uh, there's bioelectric impedance analysis, which is... Uh, anything like the in-body scan or those scales that measure, like you step on a scale and it has two little metal plates on it. Yeah. Um, those, those send an electrical current through your body and tell you how well your body conducts electricity and based on the conductiveness of your body. Um, hmm. It can tell you roughly what body composition you are. But the oh, wow. problem is uh they're super um, sensitive to hydration because water conducts electricity really well. So right. you could drink like a quart of water and see your body composition change by like 3% two hours later, which Got is it. obviously not accurate. It's just your body's conducting electricity better. So yeah, the BIA and the BOD pod um, are like an additional 3% error on top of the DEXA scan 3% error. So it's like a plus or minus six percent wow um so not not super reliable skin fold tests underwater weighing similar errors and i would say that if you get a really good tester doing skin fold tests like somebody who's done like thousands of them they can probably be more reliable than uh bia or just about anything except Hmm. exa problem it's all really it's all really invasive so and it's and it costs money and it costs time. So I say just take progress pictures and be honest with yourself and you'll see changes. Got it. Well, and and uh you know I did uh the skinfold that's like the calipers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I we did that. My my body fat was lower than I expected. Um but I was like, man, how accurate is this? Like am I even getting a good, you know, sample here? Like I have not someone who's done it thousands of times. It was literally me and my wife after the kids had gone to bed. Yeah. yeah. Sitting there in our underwear like trying to people like what are these freaks doing? Um but yeah, that's why I was like I was like, well, you know, this number looks good, but I was like how how accurate is it really? Yeah. Um well, well, let me ask you this, and you almost said as much. Like, so is is even looking at your body fat as a percentage the right approach, or is there another metric that that folks should be focused on, either quantitative or qualitative? Yeah, I think that a rough estimation of body fat percentage is is a useful tool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But in the absence of a coach who can sort of interpret what you're seeing on progress pictures. Um, oh, so is that, is that how you work with a lot of your clients? Yeah, It's the progress pictures and you know, you yeah. can actually see the body composition change. Yeah. Once every three or six weeks, I'll just have them take pictures in like athletic attire, head mm-hmm. to toe. And, um, I can gauge changes in muscularity and body fat and all that. And I use that to, to monitor change rather than to sort of, I'm not sitting there saying, well, I can look at your, your body and tell you that you're 12% body fat. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I can usually make a pretty good guess, but because I've, I've done it for so See, long, but yeah, so much repetition and exposure. Yeah. I mean, I've body comped like 1300 people or something, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. For a person without a coach, I think probably just taking progress pictures from a standpoint of, monitoring your progress, seeing if there is change, um, and then using that alongside the scale if, uh, and monitoring your trends with the scale. Mm. Uh, like Rather than, I mean, jumping on the scale and taking any one-off weigh-in as like I'm losing or gaining weight is just, it's a terrible idea. You should get something like the Happy Scale app or make yourself an Excel chart with a trend line if you're, if you're savvy. Um, but yeah, I'm using 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 the scale plus progress pictures plus the knowledge that you are training in the weight room. Hopefully, if your goal is body recomposition, mm. uh, you can sort of assume that if the scale is trending down and you've lost a few pounds and you're seeing body composition changes, and your strength is maintained in the weight room, you can assume that the losses that you're seeing have been fat, um, and then you can sort of say, well, I've lost three pounds or I've lost five pounds and I weighed 200 pounds. So I've lost uh, two and a half percent of my body weight. Um, and you can you can sort of crunch numbers and figure out how, what percent fat you might have lost if you lost two and a half percent of your body weight. And maybe you had 160 pounds of lean mass. Uh, so that would have put you at 20 percent body fat originally at 200 pounds, drop, drop two and a, or drop five pounds of fat. And now you're at what is that? 17 and a half percent fat, I think. Hmm. That's the, that's the math that I do. Yeah. No, that, that's really interesting. Well, and, and you know, and maybe it's even uh, good to take a step back a little bit. Um, and, and just, you know, like what is the point of fat in the body? Right. Uh, I feel like a lot of people maybe know, or they think they know. Sure. Um, but like, why is the body putting on fat in the first place? Hmm. Yeah. So, the point of fat is, I mean, maybe that's a weird way to ask super, that. Super literal, <laughs> uh, warmth, <laughs> energy. Uh, 
but the the reason the body is going to be putting on fat, especially fat in excess, is just excess calories. It's the it's the body's way to store uh, store the calories that you eat. Once once you've topped up your glycogen stores in your muscles, that's where your muscles store your carbs. And mm-hmm. once you've consumed sufficient protein to feed any growing muscle tissue, um, yeah, the rest is going to be either burned for energy or stored as fat. Hmm. So, you know, when, when you're working with clients, because I know you work a lot with endurance athletes and, you know, athletes of all uh, different varieties, mm-hmm. um, are you most often trying to help them reduce body fat to get leaner? Are you trying to help them put together a plan that's going to, uh, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this, identify like, hey, h- how much do I need in my diet to simply just like replenish those glycogen stores, uh, give my muscles what it needs to like recover, grow, et cetera, and not slip too far into this like accumulation of, of fat. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is in a nutshell what I do for all, hmm. all my folks. Um, I have a blend of endurance athletes and just, I call them regular folks who just want to train, want to exercise, be healthy, and might want to look a little better, feel a little leaner. Um, Maybe they want to grow a little bit of muscle. Um, And yeah, I put together plans that essentially help them hit the calorie needs that their goals require Mm -hmm. and fuel well for training simultaneously. So most of their fuel for training is going to come from carbs, whether you're lifting or endurance uh, or doing endurance. And yeah, then I make sure that they're consuming sufficient protein so that they're, if they are losing weight, if that's their goal, the combination of sufficient protein plus fueling their training with carbs helps them retain their muscle. And then any weight that's lost is fat. Hmm. So here, here, here's a question. How, how does the body actually burn fat? And I guess what might even be interesting too is if you could give like some applicable examples of like more effective means of burning fat. Like there's a lot of talks about like, Hey, get up, do fasted cardio or fasted training or time restricted eating. Like, you know, how, how does the body most effectively burn fat? And um, what also might be interesting too, is like, what are some of the misconceptions and mistakes that people are making in an attempt to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I am going to be a total wet blanket here. Um, the all of all of the things that are attempts to burn fat actually let me start with this the body is really really amazing at figuring out what it wants to do and Hmm. all of the tweaks and modifications that we can make that are sort of like i'm gonna i'm gonna do cardio to um at this specific percentage of heart rate maximum to burn fat, or I'm going to do cardio fasted, or I'm going to only drink this amount of carbohydrate during cardio to make sure that I'm burning the maximum amount of fat, um, or I'm going to do a keto diet to, uh, to increase my fat utilization ability. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things, the body essentially works around, and I'll give the example of the fasted cardio because it's like the, it's the big one that lots of folks uh, talk about yeah if you do fasted cardio you absolutely are going to burn more fat during that cardio session than if you weren't doing fasted cardio but mm. over the course of the next 23 hours until you do fasted cardio again your body's going to be like hey i lost some fat 
during that cardio session, I'm going to be more ready to replace that fat when this person eats again. Yeah. And so if you actually look at the data in the literature, people who do fasted cardio versus people who do fueled cardio or like they consume a healthy mixed meal beforehand, maybe some carbohydrate during their cardio, mm-hmm. the fat loss is literally identical over the course of like weeks, weeks and months. But it, oh, it's only if you actually look at like immediately post-training. Yeah, sure. The people that did fasted cardio during that training session burned a smidge more fat, but the body makes up for it later. Hmm. And that's, it's, the it's, with, that's the case with keto and and really any sort of manipulation strategy you can, you can do to target fat burning. Uh, the body just makes up for it later. Hmm. So it's it's kind of uh, I feel like the recurring theme of this one is like homeostasis. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, hey, the body knows it burned up more than it normally would in the morning. Again, I like to oversimplify everything, uh, right? But then it sounds like because of that, it actually might be more willing to store throughout those those next twenty three hours, like you were saying, exactly. than it would have otherwise had you just trained. Yep. With normal fuel. Yep. Interesting. Okay. So, well, then let me ask you this then. Like, so what, what is the right approach if you're trying to get leaner or trying to, you know, change body composition? Um, and, and again, I, often the answer I get back is like, it's different for everyone. So totally get it if that's the case. But if there are some kind of like tried and true recommendations or pillars, yeah, people can kind of fall back on. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's so different for everyone. Actually, I think that maybe the the numbers differ for everybody. Like how, like certainly, two different people who are they're both two hundred pounds and they both like they have the same body composition and they might even do the same training and they might have the same strength numbers and same endurance numbers and everything. They may actually require slightly different um, carb amounts or protein amounts or fat amounts, but the hmm. the overall strategy is not so different for everybody. The overall hmm. strategy should be. Um, Work hard to retain your muscle, uh, okay. consume sufficient protein to do so, which might be like 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of uh, grams of protein per pound of body weight. Uh, consume sufficient carbohydrate to fuel your training so that training can have high quality, high volume, and high intensity. Uh, mm-hmm. And then create a calorie deficit by making sure that your probably your healthy fats consumption is moderate to limited um, and so that your total calorie intake for the day is lower than you expend so hmm. you train train hard in the gym lift with high volumes do big compound movements try to push your your uh, your strength numbers up um, doing things like three sets of 10, four sets of 10, five sets of 10 over the course of weeks with progressive overload using like 60 to 80% of your one RM great way to try to grow muscle Hmm. while presenting that muscle growth stimulus. If you're creating a calorie deficit and fueling training well with protein and carbs, that's the best way to go. Got it. Well, and and is that, um, does that vary at all? Because we do have a lot of folks who are endurance athletes. I know you spend a lot of time working with yeah. and are an endurance athlete today yourself. Like, does, does that differ for someone who's an endurance athlete or is it kind of the same concept that applies? Yeah, for, for me, I come from a very peculiar background of uh, a former strength power athlete, now endurance mm-hmm. athlete. So I carry a ridiculous amount of muscle. And so I just had, I had the luxury of not really needing to lift when I – 
when I started cutting down as an endurance athlete, like my goal, I was yeah. 40 pounds at my peak and I think I carried about 15% body fat. And then when I, when I finished bobsled, I think I was 225 at like nine or 10% body fat. Um, and I'm six one for reference. Uh, and so uh, he's five, seven, <laughs> uh, five, seven, two, four. <laughs> and so I, like I said, I had the luxury of having like excess muscle. And so I could actually afford to lose muscle, um, for my endurance pursuits. And that's the case for a lot of folks who come from like football or baseball or basketball and move in to endurance it's like it's not really a huge deal for them to lose a little bit of muscle um, and so their protein consumption doesn't necessarily need to be on that like one gram per pound end of things and they can mm. they can use their calories they can allot their calories more towards carbohydrate to better fuel their endurance training than rather than eating one gram per pound of protein per day they, they could do just fine with uh, like 0.6 grams per pound or 0.7 grams per pound protein per day. Hmm. Definitely don't go lower than like 0.5 or 0.4 though. Cause then you can start flirting with like pre-diabetes from not getting enough protein. Oh, wow. So, okay. At, I almost don't want to ask this cause I feel like I know what the answer is. Um, if someone really does want to take this seriously, like does it require that you start paying attention to like macros and, and micronutrients? Hmm. As an endurance athlete, yeah, absolutely. Especially okay. if you plan on doing anything, any sessions that are longer than two hours. Like if you're going to run a marathon, yeah, yeah, you should be counting your carbs at some point, especially intra workout. Um, if you're going to be like, you want to ride a century on your bike or a metric century or do any of those big grand fondo rides, hmm. um, yeah, you absolutely need to be counting carbs and making sure that you're getting enough intra workout carbs and probably mm. enough around the clock because when you train when you ride your bike for three hours or four hours you need to eat like 500 to 700 grams of carbs in a day to just offset the glycogen loss hmm. but but the goal is just like weight loss um, or leaning out while doing some endurance stuff you can probably you can probably do it without counting macros and the way that i recommend generally doing it for folks who don't want to count macros um, is do pay attention to protein and make sure that you're getting like somewhere in the ballpark of 0.7 to one gram per pound. Okay. That's not a super hard math thing to figure out. And then yeah. be hungry at least as often as you are full and eat plenty of veggies and you'll probably start losing weight. Hmm. That's, that's good advice. And, and let me ask you this. Do you, does that one gram of protein, right? Does that hold up even on days where you're not training? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Okay. And that's, that's just about maintenance and just re retaining muscle mass is why you need to do that. Yeah. So uh, oftentimes the days that you're not training your, um, your SFR or essentially the, the rate at which your muscles are laying down protein and growing new muscle or attempting to grow new muscle is, is higher on rest days than it is on training days. And so hmm. fighting that protein to your bloodstream on rest days is just as important, if not more important than, than on training days. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too when you describe it like that intuitively. But I feel like sometimes I'm like, well, you know what? I didn't work out as hard today. I don't need to be as diligent in making sure that I'm getting as much. Or I'm, sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe it's beneficial for me to like not overeat today. Sure. Um, but yeah, I guess it's not so much like overeating. It's like, are you eating the right things in enough quantity? Yeah, I'd say focusing on, for, if you have to focus on one thing, it'd be lean, lean protein for sure. Okay. Lean. And, and what, what would you classify as lean protein? Uh, like anything with probably five grams of protein and per one gram of fat. So like lean chicken breast, maybe chicken thighs, probably not. Um, Hmm. but if you're eating them in moderation, you're probably fine. Tuna, um, tilapia, all, all the things that you hear bodybuilders talk about. <laughs> lean ground turkey, lean, super lean ground beef is awesome. Just rinse it. I can literally, in my head, I can literally see the rock eating like two pounds of halibut or yeah, whatever it is that. he eats every every two hours. Um, you, you said something else there too. Well, I've got a bunch of questions for you. I hope you don't mind. Hit me. You, you said something there that I thought was really interesting. And I think for folks, and maybe it is different if your goal is like increase mass but you, you said you should be hungry as often as you are full. Can, can you dive a little bit deeper into what you mean by that? Yeah. So um, in the 21st century in America, at least, we have abundant access to food and probably yeah. like all of your listeners can afford to buy more calories than they consume or the, than they need to consume. Like mm-hmm. for most people, like it's per, super, super cheap to purchase way more calories than we need um Mm -hmm. they might not be the right calories but you can go into any grocery store and get like a huge calorie caloric excess for like almost no dollars um so what that means is it's really easy to it's really easy for our hunger um which is affected by food abundance to outstrip our actual need for calories especially if you or your goal is fat loss. So if, if your goal if the goal is fat loss, you have to be in a calorie deficit of some kind. You have to generate a calorie deficit somehow some way. Hmm. Uh, when you're in a calorie deficit, you're going to experience hunger. It's just a given. And if you go if you go into a fat loss phase or go into a weight loss phase of a diet and you're you that's your goal and you don't anticipate hunger, that's a huge mistake and it's one of the first things i tell all of my clients is hmm. I, I give them this little handy sheet that says here's what your hunger is probably going to look like over the next like six eight twelve weeks and it, it should increase from like just barely slightly hungry in the first week of your fat loss phase to like okay i'm i'm pretty i have some intense cravings sometimes and i'm moderately hungry most of the day towards the end of a fat loss or weight loss phase um and if you're not experiencing that hunger, chances are you, you've either you've either been eating a, way too much for way too long, um, and and just been in a huge caloric excess for a long time, um, or you or you're not you're not losing weight because hmm. weight loss absolutely will uh, will cause hunger. Fat loss, the act of losing fat tissue causes hunger. There's direct signaling that causes it. Hmm. Is is the hunger? So here's why. Now I'm asking for uh, personal recommendation. I'm a big snacker, mm-hmm. and like every, I mean, honestly, probably every two hours I go and I eat I something. 
every three hours. Is is it more about is there kind of like an optimal window where it's like, hey, look, you actually do a little bit better if you can go, you know, X number of hours between eating? Or is it more about, hey, I'm more concerned with over the course of the day, how many total calories uh, you're actually taking? And I just want to make sure that there is that caloric deficit yeah, to spur fat loss. Definitely the latter. It's just about the calorie deficit and whether you do hmm. it by eating three meals a day or 17 snacks a day, it doesn't matter. Either way. Hmm. So what is there any uh, additional benefit and you brought up keto, so maybe we, uh, I, I would love to talk about that a little bit too, but also, um, you know, my wife does time-restricted eating, which we used to incorrectly call intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just generally not very hungry in the morning and she feels better uh, and she generally likes it. And I think, you know, the, the belief is that she also, it's just, you know, helping her keep her weight down if she wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, it does something like that have a positive benefit on fat loss uh, and staying lean? Or is it kind of like what you were saying, almost with the fasted cardio, it's like your body just wants to make up for it when it does eat? Yeah, the I think the biggest asset for a time-restricted eating or intermittent or intermittent fasting approach is, is that for some people, it actually reduces hunger at some point during the fast. Like you, mm. your blood sugar stabilizes at some point after you have like a little, at least for me, like if I, three hours after I've eaten, I'm like, I'm my blood sugar is tanking. I'm like, I want six slices of bread now. Uh, <laughs> but, but like if I fast for six, eight, 10 hours, like I might actually be able to go to 12 or 16. And it's, and it's not so bad because your, your body does stabilize your blood sugar and dropping blood sugar is one of the most powerful stimulants of hunger. So if you can avoid that, drop in blood sugar and get through the through any initial sort of crash at the onset of the fast then mm-hmm. that can be a really useful strategy for folks to maintain a calorie deficit so i know there's not any like additional fat burning effect of that fasting period but mm-hmm. it can be a good hunger mitigation strategy for a lot of folks in a calorie deficit or just as a maintenance strategy oh interesting you know, I, I'm trying to remember who I was speaking to because um, it was a while ago. It might have even been Christian Thibodeau. And and as you're talking, some of the, I remember he was like, look, like there's a lot of different approaches. There's a million different diets. But at the end of the day, it's about like calories. Mm-hmm. And do you, are you taking in less calories than you're burning? And, yeah. and I feel – oh, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because – there, there's no shortage of like, and maybe we can touch on this too, like crash diets or mm-hmm. really extreme uh, sustained diets that people adopt, um, believing that that is what's causing them to like ideally see results or they're doing it in hopes of seeing a specific result. Um, what What is your kind of take on all of these various kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to call them extreme diets that exist and, and like, is there a place for some of these to be beneficial? Um, or is it more about like what you were saying, like, hey, we need something that's sustainable because it's it's not just will you go back on it? It's there's actually, uh, you know, detrimental effects that physiologically take place yeah. if, if we if we make wild swings in the body. Yeah, for, as far as the extreme diet approaches go, uh, cleanses and all of that, 
yeah. uh, they do more harm than good. And most of them do exclusively harm. Okay. Can you, yeah. Can you expand on that? Because um, they drive me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I'll hit you right in the confirmation bias here. Uh, okay. <laughs> so they, uh, in, in general, they cause folks to, number one, believe in them because they work really fast. And so people see the scale goes down and they might mm. see that they look more trim in the mirror because a lot of them in, involve carbohydrate restriction or just extreme calorie restriction. Um, mm -hmm. And they achieve this extreme calorie restriction often by like eliminating certain foods or food groups um, or just like eliminating all food and just drinking lemon water with cayenne pepper. Um, and yeah, you lose weight super fast doing that because when you consume almost no sodium uh, and you consume le way, way, way less calories uh, or you start consuming huge amounts of vegetables, yeah, you essentially, you drop a whole bunch of water when you don't consume sodium. You drop a bunch of water when you don't consume carbohydrate. And you, if you, if you start eating like a head of lettuce and a bag of spinach every day, you will clean out your gastrointestinal tract really fast. You'll look more trim in the mirror and you will have mm. 10 pounds of gut contents uh, in yeah. a couple of days. And, that, and the problem with all of that is that people start to think that that's the only way that they can lose weight because it's the only time that they've seen the scale respond or the mirror respond positively to what they're doing. Mm. And then uh, it, 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 that compounds itself when their hunger spikes and then they binge and yeah, they re they regain all their weight and probably start accumulating fat tissue faster than they lost it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's because um, I, I think folks who historically have, have had struggles with weight and wide swings and fluctuation, um, you know, I, I see it in just friends, people I know, you know, they'll go on this hardcore diet and, you know, and then they exert uh, an incredible amount of like self-discipline uh, to get there, which is amazing but it's like it feels like every time it's like once they deviate from what that crash diet that they went on it's like slowly but surely it's like they revert to bad habits or um it just it doesn't seem like i guess sustainable is is kind of the word of the show as well yeah and i think i think it's important for people to know that a fat loss phase or a weight loss phase shouldn't be or shouldn't feel sustainable but hmm. the weight that you end at should be sustainable and it should feel sustainable after about two to four weeks of maintenance at your end weight. Mm -hmm. So if you if you are 180 pounds and you want to get down to 165 pounds and you're carrying yeah. sufficient fat to do that healthfully, um, it's it's important that it's just it's important to do it slowly enough that when you get to maintenance. Um, you're not like completely overwhelmed with the urge to, to go to Red Robin and eat every day. Um, I don't think I'll ever lose <laughs> the Red Robin urge, no matter how healthy I've grown accustomed to eating those bottomless but, steak fries. But I think that it's an important message for folks to hear that the fat loss phase should not feel sustainable. And hmm. even the first couple weeks of maintenance might not feel sustainable and that it's going to require some hunger. It's going to require some hard work but that once you are into a healthy maintenance weight 
four weeks after you've started that maintenance, it should start to feel more sustainable and you should feel balanced and like your hunger, you're, you're hungry about as often as you are full and that's good balance. Hmm. So two, two questions for you, because I think this is really important and maybe it will help shift the perspective of folks who do have some sort of weight loss goal or, or body recomposition goal. What does, um, and I wonder if this is the right way to ask this, like healthy weight loss look like? It, do, you know, do you guide clients? It's like, hey, we only want to lose this percentage of body weight a week or these pounds a week. Or, you know, is is there something that generally is like a, a healthy way to start to lose fat along the way? Um, and then, you know, I guess maybe if you could explain that, what does like a, a maintenance period look like? Because I feel like that's something the, the most people they're like maintenance period. Like I'm just trying to keep the weight off. Like what, what do you mean maintenance? Like what is, what does a maintenance period look like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first, um, uh, appropriate weight loss rates usually for most people should, should be maxed out at 1% of body weight per week. And I okay. really also cap it at two pounds of body weight per week. So hmm. if you're, if you're 250 pounds and you want to get down to 200 pounds eventually or 225 pounds eventually, I would say target no more than two percent or two pounds of weight loss per week. But if you're if you're like 150 pounds and you want to trim up to 140 pounds, um, target 1.4 or 1.5 pounds per week as a maximum. There's no as a maximum. Yeah, there's no harm in going slower, um, especially. I mean. Yeah, there's there's no harm in going as slow as half a percent per week. There, the only harm that comes from going slower is that you will look at the scale and you will see it fluctuating and you will honestly believe I'm not losing any weight. Hmm. And another huge message I want to send to everybody, and yeah. I'm shouting this one from the rooftops, is it is normal, it's totally normal for your your weight to fluctuate 1% to 4% of body weight daily, especially uh, like when hormone cycles get involved for women. Uh, hmm. Total mansplaining moment here. Uh, there, it's normal. It's a hundred percent normal for your weight to jump around like three to five pounds daily, and the the everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I got it. It's really important because those fluctuations, three to five pounds of body weight fluctuations, are sufficient to totally mask weight loss, a weight loss trend that is only half a pound or one pound per week. For hmm. three or four weeks if you're just if you're just doing like if you're just doing like a before and after or just like a high point um it, like if somebody if somebody weighs in at 134 um like on march 1st they might weigh in at 134 again on like march 22nd but actually be losing a pound per week because right they it could just be an upward fluctuation on march 22nd and a a downward it was a downward fluctuation on March 1st. And so it's super, super important to use something like Happy Scale app or an Excel chart with a trend line or however you're going to monitor the trend because those fluctuations totally mask what's actually happening. Yeah. No, and that that makes a lot of sense. And uh, and I'm glad I'm a, I haven't heard of Happy Scale, but I will check that out. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of folks do get so hung up on the number that they see on the scale. Um, you know, that oftentimes like they get defeated, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and they're using that as kind of like the rubric to measure their success. And what you're saying is 
there's there's there can be such big swings in your weight in an individual day that even if you've lost two pounds, the two pounds you want to get rid of, yeah, depending on like what time you look at the scale, yeah. uh, you might feel like you've not made any progress. So that that makes a lot of sense with the trend line. Yep. Um. So you can see it over time. Super super important. Do you recommend to your clients um, weighing yourself at like the same time every day, uh, or is even that not going to be completely reliable? That that helps to like just eliminate one variable that might that might cause additional fluctuation. I tell folks not to weigh in multiple times per day because sometimes people will be like, "Oh, I weigh I weighed in kind of high this morning," and then they'll check again at noon and they're like, "Oh, yeah, okay, I'm down two pounds." It's like just take the weight sometime after you get up, after you've used the restroom, sometime yeah. before breakfast, or if you want to do it after breakfast, it's fine. Just do roughly the same time in your schedule. It doesn't have to be the same clock time, but the same time in your your general morning schedule. Take the weight, put it on a on a on a chart. And, and f- for the love of all that is good, don't interpret that single weigh in as anything at all. Yeah. It's, it's got to be part of a trend analysis. No, that, I think that uh, is awesome advice. And probably even though you've said it three, time, adv- three times advice, a lot of people will be like, uh, yeah, but I really like it when I step on the scale and it says 123. Yeah. And I feel worse when it says 125. Oh, it's so true. It's so, so true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and can you explain a little bit about uh, the the maintenance phase? Like, what what is a healthy maintenance phase, and and what are the sorts of things that that people should be focusing on during maintenance? You know, like what does that mean? Yeah. So, uh, two things: uh, weight maintenance means you're just maintaining your weight. You're consuming sufficient calories to match your expenditure. So your mm-hmm. weight, that weight trend line isn't going up, not trending up, and it's not trending down. You'll still have big fluctuations in maintenance, still totally normal. It's just yeah. changes in gut contents, changes in your water holding patterns, uh, changes in, oh, I, ha- I ate an extra high sodium meal last night, you're up three pounds, no big deal. You just want the, the trend line to be flat in maintenance. Mm. Um, and and it really needs like people talk about oh I'll just compare weekly averages last week compared to this week that works great until hormone cycles start to happen for women or it works mm. great until like you just catch some random upward fluctuations a couple days in a row in one week and then you start to convince yourself that oh I've I've gained I've gained half a pound since last week I must need to cut 250 calories from my diet it's not true so the the, mm. the week to week weekly average approach isn't really the best the re- truly the best is a trend line and you you mm. got to plot more data than just two weeks of data um, and it doesn't have to be every day it could be every third day or every fourth day but mm-hmm. you have to have longer term data than just one or two weeks are, are people during a maintenance phase still experiencing that that hunger that you were describing during the weight loss phase it depends or is, are they beginning to get acclimated it, for some folks, if it's like the first weight loss phase that they've ever done and they're coming into a maintenance for the first time, a lot of times they won't feel any hunger at all. They'll be like, I feel great. Like hmm. nothing's wrong. I'm eating plenty of high volume foods, healthy, healthy carbs, healthy fats, lots of veggies, plenty of protein. And they're like, yep, no hunger at all. I feel great. And then they let me go as a coach and I'm like, sweet, I did my job. Uh, right. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but the, for some folks, if they've lost more fat, like if they've carried more fat 
years ago, or maybe maybe they lost 15 or 20 pounds over the last 12 weeks, um, they can have some hunger that lingers for two to four weeks. Or if, like full disclosure moment, if I have taken if I've taken a client and had them lose weight beyond what would have been sustained or what should should be their sustainable sort of end weight mm-hmm. because they've carried more fat in the past, like substantially more. Um, hunger can linger for, uh, well, it can linger indefinitely uh, if you mm. if you don't actually increase back to um, a more sustainable weight. How, how much of that, like, it, does it then become about um, reshaping their perspective as, as to what's healthy? Like, I imagine, like, look, I myself, and I, I believe you're the same type of person. Like, if I set my mind to something, like, I, I will push through Absolutely. any amount of discomfort to get there. Yes. Um, you know, and I imagine a lot of, especially a lot of these endurance athletes that you work with, um, you know, how much is it about saying, like, hey, look, it's it's actually better for you to back off, get to a sustainable place versus, like, killing yourself to get down to some unmanageable uh, you know, lower body weight, body composition. Yeah. Um, actually I, I've been very surprised. It's my, my folks who tend to be of the same mind that you just sort of alluded to where they'll just literally push themselves to death to, to Mm -hmm. accomplish whatever goal they set their minds to that come from two camps, the endurance camp and the, uh, formerly, uh, very obese for lack of a, of a specific term, uh, yeah, those who have carried like forty percent fat and are now in like the twenty twenty five percent fat range, it took some serious work to make that weight loss happen. And they're yeah. they're like a lot of times they're like type A corporate, like uh, super driven, multiple degrees, and they had a, a period of time where they gained a bunch of weight. They maintained that heavy weight for a long time, and then they finally put their mind to losing weight and they're some of the most driven people they will essentially they are they're forced to if they want to lose that substantial of of an amount of weight they're forced into orthorexia a bit like they Mm -hmm. they literally have to be so adherent to a restrictive plan that they they develop um like really strong habits of needing to follow a plan um and Mm -hmm. because that's the only way that they could lose that amount of weight um, and yeah, of course, of course, the endurance athletes, like a lot of them are like, I got to get lighter and they have the will of, I mean, they just have oh, yeah. tons of willpower. What, um, what is orthorexia really quickly? The orthorexia is, um, and I, this is not reading from Google. This is just generally an understanding. It's yeah. the need to, or the desire to strong desire to follow a, some sort of plan for your diet or some sort of rule based system for your diet. Um, so it's not the desire to not eat like anorexia. It's more mm. like I'm going to follow a rigid plan. Oh, okay. And Interesting. rigid to the point of beyond what's necessary to accomplish the goal. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. One question here. Now, now, now I'm, I'm thinking more about like the elite athlete camp or someone who has uh, athletic goals that they're going after um, that they you know are very passionate about. You know, I, you kind of just mentioned this, like one of the best ways to get faster, jump higher is to reduce your body weight while not sacrificing like strength and speed. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people who 
are are not solely just worried about body composition uh, with the intent of looking better and feeling better, but like, hey, I'm I'm looking for a competitive advantage yeah. athletically. Yep. Um, you know, what are the things to keep in mind when trying to lose fat, but not not just main and when you can tell me if this is possible, not just maintain, you know, lean muscle mass, but actually continue to get stronger at the same time. Yeah. Um, huge, huge trade offs of doing fat loss phases in athletes, especially if speed and power is a goal. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially if they're already lean. So one of the things that happens in a calorie deficit is muscle fibers tend to convert towards uh, slower slower muscle fiber types. Which Interesting. Not good for strength and power and speed. Um, and when you when you are in a calorie deficit, your fatigue is is higher. So you're going to be able to train. You'll you'll be forced to train at a lower intensity or or with a lower volume than you otherwise would. Hmm. So yeah, there's there's big trade offs of doing doing fat loss phases for athletes. Um, and so if you're, if you are a, like, let's take the sprinter example, like if you're a sprinter, uh, and you want to run faster or, or let's, let's say jumping is part of your event. Uh, certainly it would, it would be nice to have less mass to, if you have to, if you have to accelerate your mass vertically uh, against gravity, it's nice to have less mass. Um, (laughs) same thing for sprinting. Um, but the trade-offs are, are often like really, um, really reduced rate of force development in the musculature Hmm. Um, and that i mean uh, sufficient reduction in rate of force development and sufficient reduction in power that the reduced mass the benefits of the reduced mass are outweighed by those reductions in power ah wow so you know like let's say we are we're using that sprinter as an example um and I guess taking a, being willing to take a longer term approach, like what does, from a nutrition standpoint, training look like uh, when done the right way? And I guess not training, but is it is it more thought of like, look, if you focus on getting stronger and faster, and you're eating healthy, and you're making sure you're getting the right amount of protein and carbs to fuel training, mm-hmm. um, you know, does it you just you just kind of naturally shift your body composition to something that's leaner and is that the best approach like i feel like a lot of this just kind of happens without us thinking about it and i know i'm being like very uh you know tactical in these questions um but for someone who's like look i I don't want to sacrifice strength rate of force development power i certainly don't want to convert fast twitch muscle fibers that i've worked so hard to build to slow twitch but i do want to you know kind of slowly change my body composition over time like what is the right thing to do? I think having dedicated very short phases of fat loss, hmm. very far separate from any competition is probably the right approach. So um, maybe four weeks of fat loss at like 1% weight per week. Um, hmm. And ideally like way more than three months in advance of any competitive need so that you've got plenty of time to spend. Uh, and so the, the training approach would be like hypertrophy or high volume strength training to make sure that you're retaining all of the muscle mass that you can. Uh, yeah. 
but if the goal if you're if you're competing in something like sprinting you can't be doing high volume strength training and hypertrophy training and also sprinting fast um so it's it's really wise to have that fat loss phase and the higher volume training phase three plus months in advance of any need for speed so that you mm. can get back into like strength max strength peaking power type type training far in advance of the of the competition that yeah okay that makes sense um how, how are you how are you doing on time here because i've got may, maybe two more questions that i would love to ask but absolutely we, we, you're good yeah okay. um so one of the things that we talked about was you know the idea of fasted cardio uh or fasted training so um oftentimes like i i'm the type of person where if i don't work out the first thing in the morning like just given how hectic my day quickly becomes once the kids are awake like it's not gonna happen yep. um so oftentimes you know and i think a lot of people who are very driven and but they also you know they have their own life and their their professional career like like me wake up maybe drink a glass of water and then it's like straight to the gym what what does proper fueling look like knowing that you're actually sacrificing volume and output and some of these other things by doing fasted training you know what does proper fueling look like for someone who has to like work out in the morning like that that's a great question and that that probably applies to like half of my clients uh, yeah myself included like mm -hmm. I, I don't have time to to like the idea of sitting down and eating like a whole <laughs> breakfast before i train in the morning sometimes <laughs> totally laughable um, right like nobody has time for that um so <laughs> Making, Ain't nobody got time for that. Exactly. Uh, ma making a carbohydrate and whey protein shake, or if you're doing endurance training, just a carbohydrate and electrolyte shake or drink mm. beverage in a water bottle or something. Um, that's all you need to do. Because the, the whole purpose of the, of the pre-workout meal in the first place is uh, just get some protein into the bloodstream just because it's a good idea to have protein in your bloodstream anyway. Um, and to boost blood sugar so that your cognitive drive and your neural drive uh, is high during training. And then if you're an endurance athlete, the secondary purpose of the increased blood sugar is so that there's uh, glucose available to the working muscles um, mm. so that uh, they have that to draw upon alongside their, their glycogen stores and uh, triglycerides that you'll be burning during endurance training. So that's the purpose of the pre-workout pre meal. And you can do the same thing with just drinking Gatorade and whey protein or straight up sugar and whey protein. Or if you're an endurance athlete, like a little bit of Gatorade, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of like salt in mm. a bottle. Um, and like, I, if you follow me on any of my anywhere, uh, you'll see me talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Um, yeah. But you can accomplish that same purpose of the pre-workout meal with an intra-workout beverage or like a bottle that you make just real quick and then drink half of before you go to the gym you can boost your blood sugar and you'll have great training intensity and that's that's what like half my clients do for all their morning training they don't even have a meal they just 20 minutes before training 15 minutes before training they drink 30 to 50 grams of gatorade or sugar or whatever uh, with a little bit of whey protein and, and how much how much protein is needed um like do i need to, do i need to go for the whole 30 grams or do you just need enough half, 10 to 15 half of a scoop like 15 grams oh, okay uh, pre-training and then finish the rest of the rest of your carb shake during training and uh along with the protein so i like a whole the whole layout might be like uh 30 to 40 grams carbs and 15 grams of protein 
15 minutes before training and then roughly the same thing during training. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that certainly helps. Yeah. I mean, for years, uh, and just out of necessity, kind of like you were saying, I would wake up maybe a glass of water, coffee, definitely coffee. Caffeine pill. <laughs> yeah. And I would just go to the gym and work out and I would feel pretty good. Um, but you know, at this point in my life, it's like, man, when you, when you have a slot of time, to either train or, you know, whatever my focus is within that a lot of time, it's like, I want to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of people, if, if you're listening to a podcast like this, like I imagine you probably feel the same way. Uh, so I, I think that's helpful, right? It's like, just if you're going to be willing to put in the work and the effort, it's like, how do you help yourself get more out of it? Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. And this, this might be a big one, but it, it seems like, you know, if we're talking about burning fat, losing fat, um, you need that caloric deficit. Where does someone begin in kind of understanding, you know, what their caloric baseline is? And I guess it's about what you're burning, um, so that you can kind of map out from that, you know, what your deficit needs to look like. That is, that is, uh, hmm. that's a, that's a hard question and I'm not sure, Hmm. I'm not. If sure. it's the wrong question, too, yeah, I'm. I I've looked. Say, you can I, tell me that as well. I'm sure that I would advise new, okay. newer folks, folks newer to fat loss or newer to weight loss interest. I'm not sure I would advise that they try to ascertain how many calories they're burning. Okay. Uh, because all of the ways to do that are fraught with error. Um, mm. Like like all your Apple Watch or your Fitbit or Whoop Strap or whatever other things tell you how many calories you burn today. Yeah. At the very best, they're like, uh, they have like an average of ten plus or minus ten percent error. The average population, okay. which means that for some folks they might have a zero percent error, might be dead on, and for other folks they might be like twenty percent off. And if you're twenty percent off on a two thousand calorie diet, that's plus four hundred calories, <laughs> which is which is totally useless from a prescriptive standpoint. So, yeah. Um, definitely like word to the wise. Don't, don't try to ascertain your calories from a wearable device. Okay. I think that's that, that alone is great. Cause I do feel like people listening w- would probably say, Hey, look, you know, they said caloric deficit, find a way to take in less than, and you know, I, I just want to make sure that I at least ask. So it's like, look, what is something that someone can use as a, you know, a, a guiding uh, point yeah. to make sure that they're at least on the right path. The guide, the guide point is track your calories meticulously mm-hmm. for like three weeks okay. for three weeks and track your body weight every day for three weeks. And mm. honestly, uh, for women, I would say if you can track it over the course of one entire menstrual cycle, if you have a menstrual yeah. cycle, that's ideal. Uh, for men, you can probably get away with two or three weeks because there's tends to be a little bit less cyclical fluctuation. Uh, mm. And then plot a trend line or use happy scale or any other there's probably 10 other apps besides happy scale i just have a bunch of clients that use that um okay a, any app that tells you essentially what your what your trend line of your weight is doing and then you can look back and say okay i averaged over the last three weeks i averaged 2200 calories a day and my weight has been flat like i haven't mm. been using or gaining weight that's how you can figure out how many calories per day that you're burning and how many calories you need to actually eat to maintain. 
And for most folks, they're like, oh my God, I've been eating 2,400 calories per day. No wonder I'm able to maintain my weight. <laughs> like, uh, like, and then they're like, wait, I, I can, I can eat 1900 calories a day and lose a pound a week. Awesome. Yeah. No, that, that helps. Well, and I, it, it kind of makes me think too, again, this is just another confirmation that these quick crash, uh, extreme diets or extreme approaches, people take to lose weight. You know, it's, it's like the secret is in like the consistency over time. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and it, you know, it, and what you just described, and I mean this in the best way possible is like low tech, super, low it's, tech. <laughs> it's just tracking yes. consistently. And, you know, as someone who does this for a living, uh, with all sorts of diverse athletic clientele, it's like, that's, this is the recommendation, yep. you know, yep. um, or Go work with Alex. Uh, he might not have time. I don't, Renaissance I, don't, periodization. I, don't, I don't even have any openings for clients right now. Do you really? Oh, well, I'm totally booked. Good business to be in. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, okay. So I said last question. This is a quick one, but there, a lot of people talk about belly fat. Is belly fat actually more difficult to burn than other types of fat? Or is it is it just kind of all the same? I'll tell, I'll tell you what I tell all my clients, which is okay. if you have more fat in a certain area, it's probably going to be the last place that you lose it or mm. the, the place that you lean out completely last. So like if you, if you carry more weight on your thighs and hips, it's, you're going to have more fat on your thighs and hips after 10 pounds of fat loss too. You're not going to, there's no such thing as spot fat loss. It's all baloney. Um, so okay. it, I don't care what any product anybody tries to sell you online. Don't listen to it. You cannot, absolutely cannot, will not lose fat in a certain area by taking any sort of strategy or using any sort of physical or chemical product at all ever. The only so way I can stop, I can stop uh, hooking my tummy up to those uh, electric, basically, yeah, <laughs> electric charging pads. Those things do not. The car battery on the other end. Yeah, they do not do what they say they do. <laughs> I know my wife's going to be like, did you really just say tummy on a podcast? I mean, yeah, I did. Uh, Alex, man, this, this has been awesome. And I, I honestly feel your explanation uh, is probably going to help a lot of people um, who have this as their goal uh, make effective change. Because I think what's very frustrating is, one, it, it seems if you're someone who's just reading the news – or reads the occasional journal, uh, or, you know, men's health, women's health, whatever it is, like it, it constantly seems to change, like what works, what doesn't, it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, there's so many people trying to sell you, uh, a solution, a diet, a unique yep. approach yep. that it's just overwhelming for people. Absolutely. Um, I feel like if nothing else, there was a lot of relevant information things that could be um i'm not i'm not gonna say easily applied because you know changing your diet and behavior is, is difficult no matter what you're doing but easy to understand hard to apply yes exactly yeah that's very very well said so um hopefully like this demystified stuff uh or a lot of a lot of the, the misconceptions that exist around this topic but yeah, uh yeah well hey and i know you're booked um however i, I also know that you put out a ton of great content both on your social channels. And then I know you do a lot of writing for Renaissance as well. Yeah. Um, for people who want to follow you more closely and, and maybe uh, do some further reading on, on this topic, because I know you've put a lot out there on this already. Like where is the best place for them to go? 
they can probably find me on Instagram, and my handle is Dr. Alex Harrison. Um, and I think there's an underscore in there somewhere, but you'll find it. Um, yep, I'll, I'll link to it I'll, for sure. The RP Endurance Group is an awesome group that I help moderate. Uh, oh, very cool. 5,000 members um, on Facebook. And if you're if you're an endurance athlete and you you like want to know how to fuel your training like how many how many carbs to eat during a bike ride or whatever uh i have more information than you'll ever be able to digest on that page and i'm happy to share more perfect awesome well and let me ask you this any uh any athletic feats uh or goals that you personally have coming up here i know i know you're uh, an endurance athlete yourself any big races Anything uh, coming down the pike? No big races. I'm I'm trying to keep up with my wife as usual. Uh, let's see. What's I did a time trial a couple weeks ago, and I might jump into a triathlon a triathlon with uh, with Michelle. I think in April. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's in my uh, near future. Yeah. But I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> Makes me feel more accomplished just watching uh, you go out and do these things. So. <laughs> Alex, man, thank you for your time. This was an awesome conversation. And uh, yeah, I mean, well, if, if you're up for it, we'll have to have you back in the future again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'd love to. And mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> Let's talk about fat, baby. Oh, Let's no. talk about you and me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good place to start. I wish people listening could actually, I think they could actually hear you cringe. Yeah. That was an audible cringe. Um, um, so I'm not fired. It's been no. a few weeks since I've been on here. <laughs> yeah, you're not fired. No. You were never fired. Um, well, maybe for a little bit, but I'm back. I got the job back. Leave of absence. Leave of absence. Encourage leave of absence. No, yeah. it's not at all. <laughs> uh, no, we went and saw some family. Yeah, we did. And we were behind on packing and the executive decision Shocker. was made. <laughs> that uh, I got cut. the show must go on. Mm-hmm. What if I just came in here and did the run it by my wife segment on my own? <laughs> That's what I should have done. No, that would have been so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some good one man shows. Will Ferrell did a nice job. With, yeah. Uh, w years back. What? <laughs> you never saw that? No, I don't think I did. Oh boy. I don't know if it's worth it, <laughs> but he did it. Okay. It's okay. pretty good. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Um, and here's what I kind of liked about the format. It was very targeted. Very targeted. Oh, my God. Did I take the words right out of your mouth? Yeah. <laughs> like meatloaf. <laughs> Please don't do that. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> By the dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I liked that it was really targeted. It was really focused. Um, you know, he he's written a lot on this topic, too, actually. So if people enjoyed his perspective, he's done some awesome blog posts. You can see it at, at uh, Renaissance Periodization. Um, but yeah, I I thought this one, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions, and it is difficult because there's so much bad information out there. And also, it feels like it changes all the time. Yeah. And as someone who tries to keep up on this stuff, I, I don't have a clue. I know, like... Two of the things that I do pretty religiously. Yeah. He was like, meh. meh. What, what are those? Um, my time-restricted eating, which yeah. I used to call intermittent fasting, but it's we have recently found out it's time-restricted eating. Yeah. Thank you for being honest about that. And <laughs> and uh, my fasted cardio or my fat, because like, I usually work yeah. out in our son's 1030 nap 
mm-hmm. and I don't eat till like 1230. <laughs> so I'm usually like I'm, I'm working out fasted. Right. So I, and he's like, eh, you know, it's the same, yeah. <laughs> same results. Well, and I think too, it's important to remember that this was a very focused conversation. Yeah. So it's not what he didn't say was, Hey, there's no benefit in time restricted eating. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he said, look, looking at fat loss alone, the research says it ends up being a wash. That doesn't mean yeah. that longevity benefits, right? We were talking about this beforehand mm-hmm. or any of the other benefits physiologically that might take place by doing time restricted eating aren't true. Yeah. It's just, if you're only doing that with the intent of fat loss, he's saying it's a wash. Yeah. Which is not my intent. It's more right. um, curbing my appetite and just like maintenance. And uh, outliving me <laughs> and reaping the spoils of this podcast. Oh my God. Financial windfall. <laughs> no advertisers yet, folks, but that's okay. We'll get there. Um, so yeah. I, I agree. I thought it was really good. I, I do the fasted cardio too. And we've had some guests who've recommended it and speak very highly of it. So again, you know. Yeah. But we've had also a few guests that are like, no, don't do that. Why would you do that? Why would you it's true. go into a car race with your tank not full, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's I don't true. think the anyone's fa- used that analogy, but. But they could. <laughs> they should have. You know, the, the fasted working out is something that across the board, everyone's been like, nah, the, you know, the data says that's, that's not the way to but do it. But fasted cardio for weight loss. Is what no, yeah, but there are people who who very much are on the side of like there is a benefit to doing fasted cardio and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, folks, but Alex knows his stuff, and uh, I trust him, and I enjoy a little food in the morning. So <laughs> I'm gonna choose to listen to him. Um, okay, so one of the things that I thought was really important, and just thinking about, so look, I, I got to be honest, weight loss has never been something that I've been interested in or had to go after right it was just mm-hmm. it's never been one of my goals be so. nice kenny sweet <sighs> but often like a lot of guys though i'm often trying to get bigger mm-hmm. right so my battle with the scale if i ever have one is like ah man i'm light today i would like to be yeah 230 lots of people hate you <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of guys listening and they're like yeah totally get it yeah no 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 you're right you're right um so however though Thinking about friends, family, people who are concerned about weight loss, uh, I think this this takeaway is going to be a really important one, and I, I I can just see that it's often not emphasized enough, and that is weight loss. Everyone would love to lose all the weight today, but the reality is it needs to be sustainable, and there needs to be this period that he kept talking about of, of maintenance. Yeah. So it's not enough just to get down to your target weight, right? And and actually that's that's a whole nother piece is sometimes what you think is your target weight is actually not healthy. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're someone, excuse me, who has a lot of weight to lose, uh it, you probably have to like take it, you know, uh what's much what's, slower. Kind of like a step down approach. You can't just lose 100 pounds and think there's not going to be physiological consequences. Uh, and if you're listening to this show, take a shot every time I say physiological, because <laughs> I think it's like the sixth time. But I thought that was interesting. But the maintenance piece of it, right? It's like, okay, you got down to where you need to go. Now you need to maintain that for a period for your body to adjust. Yeah. Your, your thoughts. No, I mean, it, that's like, even when I do that prolon fast, mm-hmm. it's like, that actually makes me 
want to maintain it. But like when I would do things like that master cleanse where oh yeah, before I met you, I drank lemon water with cayenne and maple syrup. So you think that we days. weren't dating when you did that? No, you, we, were, we were certainly not dating because so I lived we were in dating. Miami still. Okay. No, I did juice cleanses with you, but I never did that with you. I did that when I was in Miami. You 100% getting red- did it with me. No, I didn't. I swear to you, I did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did not. But yeah. anyway, now I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? When you oh, do, like yeah. when I when I would do that, yeah. I would like gorge afterwards because I was like, I'm so hungry. That was crazy. <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I did it with my mom okay. and I specifically remember this because I only did it once and my mom would always cheat and I would be like, mom, you're cheating on our water cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> and I would, I, I would, I mean, I, I don't know how I did it for 10 days. I will say you're, and will, I was still working out. Your, your willpower when applied, very, yeah. very strong. Very, very strong. But no, I th- and that's exactly what he said, right? Like these I was great- getting ready to move to New York and I was like, oh man, I got to look good so I can find a husband. <laughs> got to keep it tight. We met the first night, no less. Yeah. Little did I know. Yeah, that ploy. cleanse. That's that cleanse really works. Cleanse. Uh, but that's what he was saying, right? These crash diets. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, sure. Of course you, you look thinner at the end of that. You just emptied out your entire system. You yeah. starved yourself for 10 days. Not sustainable. Not, not sustainable. sustainable. Right. But that maintenance piece, like I think if you're listening to this and you're someone who does have weight loss goals and you have struggled in the past, um, I would hope that actually this would be encouraging, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're the type of person who fluctuates, maybe you're like, okay, well, I've look, I have the determination to get back down. Now I need to like, I don't know, just be aware that like there's a maintenance period and your body is fighting itself and it takes time. Yeah. Like um, he said that it, the like the fat loss period should mm. not feel sustainable. Like it should feel right. really hard. You're like, it should be very hard on you. And then even the period afterwards, the maintenance period that you're talking about should feel very hard. And then after a couple of weeks, we'll get much easier. Yeah. And I think he said maintenance was like four to five weeks. Yeah. I don't want to put words in his mouth. People can go back and listen. I thought it was a couple, a couple of weeks, but you might be right. Yeah. But whatever it is, right. It's, it's, it's a extended amount of time where your body has to kind of acclimate. Physiologically, yeah. take a shot. Uh, okay, cool. So along the same lines, and I'll, I'll I'll go quick on this one, but I thought this was really important. Again, this this you see people who lose a lot of weight really quickly. Often they put it right back on, uh, and I thought it was interesting that he says like it's really important that you take it slow. And if anything, oh like, wow, are you taking my takeaway? I thought this was my takeaway. Wait, I <laughs> thought you just did one. No, <laughs> that's okay. Fine, go ahead. Run with it, Kenny. Oh, oh, nope, I'm stopping. You take, you take all the takeaways. I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Take them all. They're all yours. No, 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 no. no. Your takeaway. Wow, that what a jeez. You leave the show for one week and I just get power hungry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. You just wanted to do them all by yourself. <sighs> I'm really sorry. I'm glad. You, I'm glad you called me out though. Yeah, me too. Really, our relationship can handle that. Okay, your takeaway, please. I. <laughs> well, as you were saying, <laughs> and I thought this was because I always knew that you are supposed to lose weight slowly, but he said it should only be. So you did know that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I knew it was more, it was easier to maintain when you lose it slowly. Yeah. Because when you drop weight, like a lot of weight all at once, it's a lot of times like water weight and it's not. Right. You're not doing it the right way. But anyway, so he says it should be only 1% of your body weight a week. Isn't that crazy? I thought was like way lower than I would have imagined. I would have thought it would be like at least like three pounds. Yeah. But I guess it's like 
it should be a percentage because everyone's different. It's not like it's true. if we're both dieting, I shouldn't be losing five pounds if you're losing five pounds. Are you saying I'm 500 pounds? <laughs> no, By I'm the saying quick 1% math. No, I, I was saying I thought it would be more like five pounds a week would be. I thought the, like, I agree. Something I, I'm, would be I'm like, completely it'd be with like you. three pounds a week would be like the proper amount to lose. I'm completely with you. Um, but then I would think about like my parents just did that prolonged diet I do yep. and my mom's percentage but or her like the amount of weight she lost was less than my it was like half of what my dad's was not that she's half my dad's weight mm. but she's weighs a lot less than him yeah so it makes sense that she was losing less than him no absolutely yeah and especially after talking to him right um yeah I, I it's funny that did sound low to me too but you know oh you know we should talk about this um the need to to look at trends over time like you, am I stealing one of yours? Mm -mm. You're looking at me like I might be stealing the takeaway. No, I, I was just thinking I would, we've been eating uh, blue cheese stuffed olives and I was thinking how badly I want one. Oh yeah. That's, I was wondering how long you were going to be talking <laughs> if I could like eat one real quick while you're talking. Yeah. That, I won't though. I'll yeah. refrain. Talk about hypocrisy. We have a <laughs> giant 32 ounce container of blue cheese olives right here. There's only four left. Oh God, they're so good. <laughs> they're so Thanks good. I would do. Um, no, but what I, what I thought was important too is like, okay, like someone hears this and they're like, I should be losing 1% per week. That piece about how much your body weight can fluctuate in any given day, mm -hmm. if you weren't aware of that, that also could really kind of be, uh, you know, that, that also could really like throw you off because you actually might be making progress, hence the need to like map it out every day so you can see that trend mm -hmm. line. Yeah, because uh, people can really get discouraged if they're like, man, like I know I'm supposed to lose at least 1% of my body weight this week and I just gained two pounds. I'm doing everything right. Like what the hell? Um, so I think it's important, like having the perspective, it's, it needs to go slow. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation along the way. But if mm -hmm. you're like consistent over time, right, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're running a little long here and I know this was a long show. Did you have something else? Because I got one more. Um, I have one. Oh, I'm not putting it on the spot, but if you had something, you, you, either you're checking your texts or you got a good one. <laughs> I'm not checking my text. <laughs> All right. Well, here, here, my notes. here was my big takeaway. This is the big one. Okay. Uh, and this holds true with what some other guests have said. Like I mentioned Christian Thibodeau, uh, but he said, ultimately, it, it's about th there needs to be some sort of caloric deficit present uh -huh. to lose weight. Um, or at least to burn fat, right? So ultimately, you need to be expending more calories, using more calories on a daily basis than you're taking in. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, working with someone like Alex, uh, they can help you put together a plan that does that. Um, he gave an indication as to like, look, if you don't, if you can't, or you don't want to hire a coach, you know, start mapping out your weight over time and and track your calories, and eventually you'll kind of be able to figure out where you know that threshold is for you. Um, but I just thought that was so interesting because there's so many, so many diets, so many cleanses, so many fat loss strategies, so many just like BS snake oil, yeah. uh, things being sold, you know, hocked on the internet is the right word, I think. And it's like, ultimately it's like, like most things, it's like a very straightforward answer. You just need to be willing to be patient, commit to it and be consistent with it. Yeah. You um, know, I would love to get like someone, maybe he would even be good to talk to about this, but like a doctor or someone that could yeah. talk to us about the effects of all these crazy diets 
on someone who's not like someone, someone who's doing keto that doesn't right. have those intolerances that should be eating a keto style diet, like the effects on that. Cause I know yeah. that, I mean, I, I like I saw on social media, a few things about how keto can be very bad for your gallbladder yeah. and liver. If you don't, have intolerances to what is it like it's gluten that it restricts i think so yeah so if you don't don't if you don't need to have a keto diet then and you're doing keto it could be very bad for you well it's a lot of like meat and fats and i'm you know so i have there's two very interesting guests coming on and so i should preface right um alex saying that there has to be a caloric deficit present we're actually going to have someone on the show who who has a, a an extreme diet, uh, carnivore diet. That's not why he's coming on, but I will ask him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be next week's guest. I'm really interested to talk to him, by Is the way. Is that the X3 guy? Yes. Yes. Oh, Founder of X3. Um, I don't want to mispronounce his name right now, so I'm not going to. But he's going to be on. We're going to talk about that. No, it's I'll, I'll get it right when I introduce him. Um, I'm terrible with names, so they have to be written out. Um, but then the following week we are having, uh, a well-renowned nutritionist on, and, uh, that is one of the topics that we're going to talk about. So you're in luck. Oh, that's exciting. We've got some interesting folks coming on. Oh, look at you. Uh, yeah. All that up my sleeve. So anyways, caloric deficit, that's the big one. Um, man, I thought this was really good. Do you want to share what your, uh, when we did our test, what our body weight percentage was for those who are still listening? Um, cause Sure. When we set our goals, so here's what we did. We took the calipers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we pinched each other <laughs> all over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sat around just pinching each other late into the night. And uh, I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, healthy range for men is 8 to 15%. But he did mention if you're someone who's been like living the majority of your life with a really low percentage, uh, and I'm not trying to beat my chest here, but I, I certainly fall into that camp because I've just, you know, I've been rigorously working out since, I don't know, 13, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine was, what was it? Seven? 742. 742. Which, after this conversation, I have a little bit more confidence in. And yeah. one of my buddies, what's up, Ray? Uh, one of my buddies from college listened to that episode that we did. And remember I was saying, like, I thought mine was really low in college, like 5% or something. Yeah. He remembered the same thing for himself. Yeah. He And he was also, you know, playing college football was in great shape. So it might have been that I actually was that low at that time. I bet because he also said that a lot of like football players and um, professional athletes are anywhere from five to ten. Yeah. Or maybe he said five to twelve. So I it makes me it, it makes like, me feel like I was five. remembering correctly. But now I'm at seven. And then I th- man, I wish we would have done it right before I did the world record attempt. I know. Because I, I was getting it. uh tight <laughs> i'll get back there once i stop once i finish this jug of olives um but yours also quite low yeah what's the range for women which did i expected ah uh, shoot i did 12 to 13 i think he said is possible uh, especially if you're someone who's always had a low body fat percentage and i think that's down where you were right uh, yeah it was 1285 1285 yeah yeah but that's not that's like the low that's like right yeah that's like the very uh extremely fit side of things <laughs> thanks guy. right that this this whole last segment is just us fishing for compliments i'm actually I'm not sorry. though i'm actually not here's why i'm sharing it because nothing drives me crazier and i'm sure i've done it to guests and or listeners uh-huh. when they talk about something and they tell you they're going to tell you mm. and then they never do yeah so i don't know there we go there we go <laughs> 
Okay. This one went long, but like I said, I, I really enjoyed this one. And I think whether, no matter where you are on the scale of uh, athletics mm-hmm. and what your goal is, or if you just want to walk around feeling better, this is something that I, I feel like so many people ask about. I hope, I hope folks took a lot away from this one. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was you should not say tummy to anyone but our children. <laughs> I didn't listen to that part, but why did I say tummy? Um, I don't remember now, but you said tummy for sure. And I was like, ugh, gross. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a couple of cringeworthy moments on this episode, <laughs> but that's what keeps it fresh. Keeps yeah. the people coming back. All right, folks, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. If you did, please drop us a line. I, lo- I love hearing from guests, uh, from listeners when they reach out. And uh, yeah, we've got a couple really good ones coming up over the next week. So stay tuned. But until then, see you later. Bye. <laughs>